I think I'm done now, right? Okay. Okay, so now we're going to start, and I want to say Happy Mother's Day, and I just always, I don't know why, but I always love going out and finding these just really cool videos, and I think this year, we found some really cool ones over the years to just honor mothers and so on, but I have to say, this one, this is a blow-away one, okay? So I really want you to pay close attention to what this thing is saying, so you guys ready? Thank you. In the Bible, in the book of Exodus, God gave us commandments for how we should live, how we should act toward Him and one another. And right in the middle of really heavy statements like, you should have no other gods before me, and you shall not murder, He gave us the fifth commandment. Honor your mother and father. Honor. To regard with great respect. To recognize. To esteem. Today is Mother's Day. And the fact that God even added honoring your mother to the Ten Commandments should show us how important it is. But if that's not enough for you, how about this? While dying on the cross, Jesus gave us one of the greatest examples of how to honor your mother. In a time of intense physical pain and mental anguish, Jesus looked at his disciple John and then his mother Mary, and he said, Woman, here is your son. And then to John, here is your mother. You see, Jesus' ministry had been his mother's support. And with his death, what would happen to her? Maybe Mary had been so caught up in her grief that this hadn't crossed her mind. But Jesus, even in the midst of his suffering, thought of his mother's well-being. He used his last moments before his death to entrust his beloved mother's care to his beloved disciple. In one of the most important moments for all mankind, Jesus made a point to honor his mother. So, there are lots of things you could give your mom on Mother's Day, but let's not forget the most important thing. In the middle of all the fellowship, food, and fun you might experience today, don't forget honor. And not just today, but every day. Let's honor our mothers for all they have done. Happy Mother's Day. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's cool, isn't it? I have to say, you know, uh, I don't know, I spent a lot of time in the Bible, and i got to tell you, in all the time that I've spent in the Bible, I never put commandment number five and what Jesus did on the cross, one of the very last things that he did. Other than that, it was, my God, my God, what are you, why have you forsaken me? But one of the very last things that he did was to honor his mother. I never made the connection between those two things. It's not that it was hidden. It's not that it was, you know, it was not that it was not obvious. It's just that if I can put it this way, this is going to kind of be a theme for us today. It was hidden in plain sight. But it wasn't hidden in plain sight by God. It's hidden because we don't get it. <laughs> it's hidden because we don't make the connection to this thing that God is doing. We don't interpret it right. We don't understand it right. Now, that's a theme of what we're going to be doing today. But I, again, I just, I just really, every time I saw that thing, it just really struck me in the heart about, wow, how much Jesus loved his mother. And, and notice he's not doing it because he's obeying the commandment here. He's doing it from a place of love. And when you love, the commandments are fulfilled, right? That's what the word says. When you love properly and richly and fully as God, do, God wants us to. So it's just a really cool thing. And it, it gets me to thinking about, about mothers and, and just this whole thing and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and I have to say, it gets me to thinking about 
I think I can go ahead and do this now, or can I, guys? You tell me. Okay. All right, so, oops, all right. So this is a picture of, I got me to think about my mother. Now, I want you to understand something. Besides her husband, she's right in the middle there, dead center. You see her right there? Okay, and then her husband, my dad, is there. And then besides my dad and the wives of the five boys, every single person in that picture comes directly from my mother. And it's not just, if I can put it this way, sort of genetic ancestor, you know, or I mean um, descendant. It's also that my mom has deeply impacted every person in that picture, including her husband and the, the daughters. I mean, it's had an enormous impact on that, that crowd. <laughs> I mean, look at that. It, look at that sphere of influence. And the truth is, is hers is much larger than that. But let me just stay here for a second because I want you to understand something. Even in the comments that I just made, there was something almost hidden in plain sight. I just said that my mom was the mother of five boys. That should have made a bunch of women in here gasp. Right? I mean, my mom deserves, like, you know, a silver star combat medal. Right? I mean, this is five testosterone-addled, deeply, you know, in seven years, five boys. Okay? Can you imagine? I, I just need you to understand how efficient in German my mom is, okay? Okay? Because, you know, like, like for food, you know, the dinner table, we didn't have a dinner table. She had a countertop like you would have at a, at a cafe, you know, where there was this countertop and then there was a stove and she would just, you know, make the tons of food that she had to make every day to all these healthy growing boys and just throw out the plates, you know what I mean? It was like a short order cook, you know what I mean? And they, we just lined up in this big, well, I've never seen anything like it in another house. It's this big, long countertop. Like I say, like you would see in a restaurant. It wasn't just that, just, sorry about this one, but, you know, my mom realized that with five young boys, Who's, let's say whose aim might have not has been as good as you would hope, she realized that she, if she didn't do something different, that she would be cleaning toilets and bathrooms her whole life. So literally in my house, this is in my house now, some of you remember these things. There were these long urinals that in, the, in the men's locker room. You could have three or four of us just standing there having do, you know? I mean, and that's the way that my mom did what she did. I mean, this woman deserves a medal. You know what I mean? She just did this thing so excellent. I want to say something. Uh, not ever in anger, but my mom knew how to get your attention. She had a way of forming a fist that I've never been able to figure out. I, I, all the boys have tried to figure it out because somehow she made one of her knuckles particularly pronounced when she formed her fist. So that, and she wouldn't hit us in anger, but when she wanted your attention, she would give you a little pop, and it was just like, I mean, it was deadly. Okay, it was deeply, you know, it was like you, she got your attention. Now, because of this and so many other reasons, I took this picture a couple of days ago, and, and I posted this on Facebook, which some of you have seen already, but I said, in honor of Mother's Day, I just want everybody to know that my mom could take your mom any day of the week. <laughs> some people actually didn't get that, and, and they texted me, they said, you were being mean to your mom, and I was like, no, 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 you don't understand my mom. <laughs> you know, this is like the two boys saying, my dad can beat up your dad. You know what I mean? This is, this is my mom. And when I read it to her, I realized on Friday on my day off, I went, you know, I should tell her about this because there's all these really great comments that are coming through and everything else. And I told her she laughed and laughed. She just thought that was awesome. You know what I mean? The mother of five boys who can take any other mother, that's about right, right? Okay? 
Now, now I got to thinking about her, and I got to thinking about Julie, who's an extraordinary mother, but not just mother, just like my mom. My mom's family, if you were to really take the picture, the real picture of the lives that she's influenced, I don't know how much larger you'd have to make it than that, but honestly, definitely more than 10 times that size. That's the number of people that, that she has had a dramatic, there's people in this congregation who she's had a dramatic impact in your lives. There are many other people in Seattle. I mean, all over the country, all over the world. This woman has had this incredible impact, not unlike, frankly, my wife. Not unlike, frankly, a lot of the mothers who are here today. And all of a sudden, I start realizing something, which is, these are not extraordinary mothers. These are extraordinary people, human beings. Forget about gender. These are extraordinary people, right? So with the permission of the mothers here, I'm going to not actually talk about mothers so much as I'm going to talk about women. And I'm going to show you something that is incredible, hidden in plain sight, about how God really feels about women. And I'm telling you, I, I don't think anything I'm going to say will come as a, a shock, but by the time we get done, I think you'll go, oh my gosh, that just flips all my understanding, all the stereotype, all of my thought about what God's doing and how he's doing it and why he's doing it. I'm telling you, by the time we get done, this will flip our understanding completely of how not only God understands women, but how he understands men, what he thinks about them, okay? So that's where we're going today. This is a great person, Todd Evans, who ministers at the prison, who was very instrumental in our men's retreat that we just did, who is just, a, just an incredible man of God. So Todd, would you, would you lift up the sermon, but also lift up the mothers that are here and the mothers around, but also just the women, okay? Lord, we uh, lift up North Shore Baptist Church in Bothell. Amen. We ask that you would be with uh, Pastor Jonathan Alexander, who's out there, and with our pastor here, Kirk. As both of them are used by you to, to teach and to share what God has shown them. Lord, uh, transform our hearts through these two men today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Jesus' name. Now, in order to really put into relief how God thinks about women, we have to look at, for just a brief second, how people in the world tend to look at women, and this includes other religions, because most of you know something about this incredible, horrible thing that's going on right now about Bring Back Our Girls. And this started uh, by a group that it, it, ostensibly they're opposed to Western education, they have killed boys too. They've gone in and slaughtered an entire schoolhouse of boys and so on. But they've also, but when it comes to, they're not really against Western education, although they're against that too. What they're really against in this instance with the girls that they did is they're against women being educated at all. Okay, period. The boys, you can't do Western education, but you can do Quranic, right? But you can't, women can't be educated at all. 
That's how they think that their God wants them to act. And they think when they do things like kidnap the 240-some that was the original school, and now they're up over 300. They're still kidnapping girls. I don't know if you know this. But they're, you know, the whole world is hashtagging while this group is going out and just capturing more girls. And what they're doing, of course, is, is that they're saying, I'm going to, I've abducted your girls and I'm going to sell them, I'm going to sell them as brides. And let's be clear what they mean as brides. They do not mean as a wife, what they mean is as an indentured servitude, a slave, and a sex object, okay, to some older disgusting man who believes that this is what God's will actually is for these women who are clearly second class citizens, if even that, okay? I mean, this is, this is, this is not just here that this is going on. I don't know if any of you watch a show on HBO called Vice, and that sounds bad, but it's really like a 60 Minutes, and it's pretty liberal in its leanings, but bottom line is they just ran a, an incredible story about rape in India and how women are being raped just, just en masse with absolutely no retribution to the guys whatsoever because the women have no value. It's not just that. This is somebody who many of you know. This is Malala who, you know, this is the young Pakistani girl who was trying to get an education, and she was lined up and shot in the head, and they expected her to die, and she didn't. She miraculously lived and kept all of her faculties, which was quite a miracle in its own right, and she has now become seriously the vocal, the voice for women, girls, particularly being educated in the world today has spoke with incredible power before the UN and all kinds of bodies and is an incredible voice for, for how important this thing really is, okay? But again, the, the, the point that we're kind of driving to is, is this idea that women are somehow lesser than men. That's common throughout the world. And let's not just go to the world on that, by the way. We can go to America, and you do realize that it was less than a hundred years ago in the United States of America that women got the right to vote. 1920, or 18, yeah, 1920, okay? So you do realize that less than a hundred years ago, women got the right to vote, okay? I mean, just think about that. Think about how anachronistic, that means out of time, how anachronistic that whole thought seems to us now, right? That seems like impossible to believe that, that, that anybody would consider a woman anything less than than having the right to vote as a human being, as a, as a person, as somebody who God gave inalienable rights to, right? So you, you've got this going on, and, and I do want to just take it one more step because, again, it's important. I do understand that, that much of what goes on about this sort of second-class status comes out of religious impulses, okay? It, you do realize, as I've said before too many times, in, you look at every other major religious text in the world, Hindu texts, Buddhist texts, Muslim texts, Confucianism, so on, all the major religions, you take all of them and you look for any even mention of a woman, and you do realize that the only one in which there's a woman ever even mentioned is in the Quran, and that is Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is simply mentioned two times. Not a story about her or anything else, just her name being used and move on. Not a story, not anything. In all the major world's religions, women aren't even mentioned. Think about that for a second. I mean, it's just appalling. Now, contrast that with the Bible. In the very beginning of the Bible, the first chapter, the first time that God even talks about making mankind, mankind but humankind, right? 
The first time he even talks about it, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see it? I mean, at the very beginning of the Bible, God is making it clear, it's men and women that I created. And, by the way, when it's, she's called the helpmeet, it doesn't mean he's not a helpmeet. The, the, the Hebrew is kinegdo, as I said before. It is, they were created to be totally side by side. They were created to help one another because it was not good that, quote, unquote, man should be alone. But let's just take it for a second and understand something. When God creates Adam in his image, right, is it Adam alone, the male alone that he's doing it? No, it's male and female. And yet who he creates is Adam, right? So what's going on here? Well, think about this. I, I, I really do think the image, can I, Kurt, come up here for a second. Let's say that this is Adam, and this is the original Adam. Here's what I want you to understand. The, the, if you really think through it, it doesn't say this precisely, so argue if you want, I don't care. But the bottom line is, is what's said is there was something about Adam that was like God, and God is spirit, so is he male or female? He refers to himself in the male, I got that, but you do, and we'll look at it in a little bit, but you do realize that God is not male or female, right? God is everything. And there's something, too, that the original Adam was everything. And that this taking out of the rib, as it says, this taking out was like he took half of what the original created Adam was. He took half of that out like he took it apart and he made it two distinct things, one which we call male and the other which we call female. Do you see it? It's not that the original Adam was male in the same way that the Adam was after something had been taken from him. Do you see? Adam was a mixture of male and female. He was something more like God, who is both. But not both, it's just that he's everything. <laughs> See what I mean? And now what we've got is, is we've got males, because that's what we call that half of what God created, and females, because that's the other half of what God created. Do you see it? Thanks. Nice, Adam. And you don't look feminine at all, so. Pink power, right? Okay. In fact, I, I want to I just do a challenge with you here. In all the Bible, okay, by the way, when you, when you look at women's rights around the world, interesting little factoid, follow the spread of Christianity. And lagging behind that will come women's rights. The identification of them as valuable and precious in their own right, not as property, not as second-class citizens, but in their own personhood, they have equal value to men. This is a concept that comes from Scripture. And wherever you see Christianity truly becoming the, the main religion of the people, you will see, not that long after, you will see women's rights starting to come up. People starting to see them differently as created beings with inalienable rights. Okay? Now, as I, as I said, though, I want, you, I want to do a little challenge just to show you how true this is. Tell me in Scripture, from the Bible, tell me anything that men do that women, God doesn't have women do also. Right? I mean, don't we think, because we think, no, there's things that men do and there's things that women do, and there's a, there's a great gulf between the two, right? Or there's a distinction, right? Not that there's not overlap, but there's a distinction ultimately. So tell me anything other than just you know, simplistic things. I mean, anything important 
that men do that women don't. The, the biggest one that I think most people would have in their head is, is women didn't lead the nation. Women weren't the leaders of the entire nation. And of course, that's not true. I mean, what you have in Scripture at, at a very early stage is you have God doing something. I don't have any problem with using women. There is a reason, which we're not going to go into in too much depth. There is this, there's this role, this thing that happened at the fall, where women take on a certain role and men take on a certain role. And he wants us to learn something from it. With women, he wants them to really learn how to follow and that, that they led. And with men, he wants them to learn how to lead in terms of nurturing, in terms that they followed. So there is this roles that we have. But do understand something. Even with the application of those roles, even with the God himself pronouncing these roles, you do realize that he nonetheless has women, I think he does this on purpose, he has women do everything that men do. So that nobody could come along one day and say, women can't do that. Now, the, the person that we're talking about in particular, of course, is Deborah, who was what? A prophet. And what was she doing? Judging Israel. Now, does that mean she was like at traffic court? Is that kind of judge we're talking about? No. Who were the judges of Israel? The leaders. The head of the country. The person that was getting from the Lord what they were supposed to be doing and was leading the nation into doing it. You see that? Now, this was a time when the problem was is that the men weren't stepping up. And so God was happy to use a woman and did. Raised up Deborah, who's a prophet who's judging Israel. But watch this in terms of what the guy was doing. One day she sends for uh, Barak, and she says to him, now, I, I had to change this a little bit from NLT. I like the way it read in the rest of it. But I just want you to see something. The actual Hebrew says, it, it, doesn't, it, it says, hasn't the Lord already told you to do this? See, it's clear that he's already been told to do something, and he's just not doing it. Any guys can relate to that? Any women of any guys? Don't raise your hands, because it's not good for them. One day she sends for, she sent for Brack, and hasn't the Lord of God has commanded you, call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River, and there I will give you victory over him. Now look what the guy says, okay? The guy says, I will go, but only if you go with me, <laughs> right? You know, now just, just understand something. That's bad on his part for not trusting God, right? He should have trusted God and did what God said. But, let's, but the point that I'm making today is, do understand, this guy knew who God was with. <laughs> and who was he with? The woman, <laughs> right? And so he says, only if you go very well, I'll go with you, but you'll receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. And indeed, not only is it at the hands of a woman in terms of Deborah having essentially been the leader of what was taking place in the nation, but also at the end, that general gets caught by a woman who puts a stake through his head. Now, that's a little gruesome, but I want to show you something here. Let's just be clear. Here's a woman who was prophesying, so there's no problem with that, because God's the one having her do it. So, you know, unless you want to say God's got a problem, he doesn't seem to have a problem with this. There's no problem with her leading, because God's the one that's having her leading. There's no problem with God having women in combat, because in essence, that's what it is. And you could quibble with me on that one, but I would take you to several other places and say, be careful. Because here's what I'm trying to tell you. There's nothing that guys do in the Bible 
that women also, by God's hand, are not also seen doing. Yes, not as much, and there's reasons for that. It has a lot to do with guys. It has more to do with guys and trying to get them to rise up. But the bottom line is, is it's not that women are disqualified. And by the way, this is not just Old Testament stuff. You know, we've got, just think about the Bible. If all the other religious texts in the world mention, only mention Mary, the mother of Jesus, you know, two times, the Bible, how filled it was with this is of stories of women. How many stories of incredible women, Rahab and the risk that she took to get the Israelite army into the village. The, the, you, you just go all the way through. And by the way, you do see a lot of women doing a lot of bad things, don't you? There's a lot of times that they do things that are, wow, that's really bad. Just like a lot of times you see guys doing things, and wow, that's really bad. And every once in a while you see a guy doing something incredible in God, and every once in a while you see a woman doing something incredible in God. No difference. So let's go ahead and get to the New Testament. This is, um, I'm going to tell you that this is the only time in all of Scripture that this kind of problem comes up. And I want to tell you something despicable. I want to show you something about our Bible translations that's, that's despicable. Okay? Uh, this is so frustrating to me. And I'm telling you, this is it. For those who might take what I'm about to say and say, gee, we can't trust the Bible anymore. I'm telling you, this is the only place where something like this happens. Period. But I want you to read this. Greet Andronicus, and then you see that word junia? That's the female form of that word, and clearly the word that it is in Greek. But even the NASB translates it, greet Andronicus and Junius. And Junius is the male form of the, of the name. Which, by the way, let me make it clear. There's no other piece of literature at the time that ever names a person named Junius. That is not a common male name. That is not a male name that's ever found anywhere. But, but our translators... God forgive me, God forgive us. Mostly men. For a reason that has a lot to do with a couple of times when Paul was talking about these fallen roles of men and women and says something like, I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man. And they're saying, how can Paul be reconciled with this? And the way that they do it, the way that the translators do it is that they take this particular verse and they do violence to it. They change it in a way that is indefensible. It's not Junius. I'll show you in a second. It's, it's Junia. It's a woman's name. Andronicus and Junia. My kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles. Now I want to tell you what that means. In the Greek, if you were to read this in the Greek, here's what it says. I want you to greet this guy and this girl who are both amazing apostles. That's what it says. The NASB at least gets there, who are outstanding among the apostles. See what I mean? But even there, you can kind of translate that like Bibles do. Watch this, HCSB. Junia, see they're using the woman's name. They are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles. You see how that's different than that they're actually, she's actually an apostle? They're using the woman's name, in which case then they have to change it to not being an apostle. She only can be well-known or something like this. See, they're well-known to the apostles, ESV. Or they're highly respected among the apostles. That's a, I cry foul. And I mean that in both sense of the terms. This is disgusting. The, the message does it this way. Junia, both of them are outstanding leaders. But look at what Eve does, too. Junius. 
So he changes it back to the male form. You see that what I'm saying here? There's nobody that will translate the verse the way that it's the way that it translates. But here's what they do. They either change the name to a male, in which case they'll let him be an apostle or a leader, or they will, change, they will leave the name female, but they will not say that she was an apostle. Do you see that? We need to let the Bible actually say what it says and then we need to figure out what he means by it. Because here's what he means by it. The same thing he's been saying throughout history. I do not have a problem with women being apostles or elders or anything else. I do not have a problem with it. There is an issue about authority and about learning how to follow and learning how to lead. And there's a thing that I'm working out. But the bottom line is God is saying, I do not have a problem with that. And we need to come to grips with that in a way that the world has failed to, massively. To the woman, he said, your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. This is that moment in the garden, right, where she who was created to be totally equal with him has now, and I'm not going to go into this in great detail. I do this all the time because I think it's so critical to understand all this, but I just need to take two seconds and do this, okay? He created them in the Hebrew kenigdo, which means totally equal. And in the end, we'll see there's no more male nor female. But the bottom line is, is that for a, for a time, there's an issue. And that is women who led in the garden are having a desire to come under him. Having a desire to be under him. And for him to come over her. To cover her. Not to rule and dominate. Not to keep down. Not to not educate. But to nurture, to care for, to raise her up. In the same way as he tells us in the New Testament, men, I want you to treat your wives like I treated you. Which is to say, what did he do with us? Raised us up. Right? Cared for us. Made us become everything that we were supposed to be in God. And this is what God wants. And I just need you to go all the way with me here. I need you to get a hold of this. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on a Christ-like garment. How many of you have been baptized into Christ? But even, I'm not talking about water baptism. I mean, how many of you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and been made a new creature by him? Raise your hands. Okay, you see that? See, now that's everybody almost, right? And for those who haven't, please do today because it's a wonderful day to accept him. Okay? There is no Jew or Greek. We totally understand that, right? In Christ, there's no Jews or Greek, right? We totally understand this whole nationality, race, ethnicity. We need to get the heck over it, right? We totally get that, don't we? What about the next one? There's no slave or free, right? Again, where the Christianity goes, slavery, which for a short period of time, Christians did pervert the word and try and justify slavery through it, but ultimately the word sets people free. And we all understand that even if there was still slavery in America, it wouldn't make the slave lesser than the master, would it? Period. In Christ, we would be the same, right? Now, what does he say next? There's no more male nor female. If you're in Christ, it's been transcended. It's been brought to another place. There's another thing that I've done that has happened that has made you new beings. Now, is there still something about roles that you need to be aware of and conscious of and just, 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 just 
understand that there's an issue there, which, which roughly boils down to something like this, which is the opposite of what people think. People think that what God was doing was trying to put the woman down. But, but here's a little bit the reason why God puts the women down. When women step up, men step out. When women raise up, men stop. That's on the man. That's not on the woman. Uh, Josh Morris sat up here and preached and said, I do not ha my wife does not have to become less for me to become everything that I'm supposed to be. Right? Right? What are we supposed to be doing? Caring for each other like Christ does, which is doing what? Raising each other up. What is she doing when she comes under us? Men. Behind every good man is a good woman. Thank God. <laughs> you, me without Julie, you don't want to know me. I am definitely not standing here. Okay, I'm not sure there's not bars between you and me at this point in time. I, I say that as a joke, but I'm actually not kidding. Okay, I mean, by the grace of God. He brought me this incredible person who helped me become a different human being. And what am I supposed to do in return? Keep her down on the farm? What was that? <laughs> I didn't hear what it was. I'm sure it was a pretty funny joke, Sandy. But what, we're, what are we supposed to do as men? We're supposed to be raising her up. That's the part that we need to learn. We're not very good at it, guys. We're good at sort of taking care of ourselves. We need to learn how to become good at taking care of somebody else. That's why he gave those roles. But in Christ, there's no more male nor female. They are the conigdo, the equal. They're Christians made new in Christ. They're, the woman is made new in Christ, which means what exactly? The Holy Spirit has given them God's nature. What is God's nature? Male or female? Both. In Christ... We have become new. And we have to understand that though there is an issue that we have to be sensitive to, the fact of the matter is, this is the same Paul that said, watch out for the authority thing. We have to reconcile that verse with that verse, and then we have to come to the truth instead of doing that, that disgusting thing that we do where we just simply don't allow God to point out what he was trying to point out, just like he did in Deborah in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he pointed out, he, he raised up Deborah to show us something about women. I have no problem with them being in any position, period. And in the New Testament, he did the same exact thing with Junius. And we're still so biased and prejudiced and corrupted that we go ahead and pervert and do violence to the word in order to get there. I'm not saying it can't be translated that way. I'm saying the plain meaning of it isn't that way. And if there weren't this bias, we wouldn't translate it the way that we do. We simply wouldn't do it if we didn't have this bias. Period. You see it? Can I go, can I go here with this then? Some of you are old enough to remember, you know, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, you know what I mean, right? And, you know, just, you know, amazing, right? And Fred Astaire was so, such a wonderful dancer, to which somebody finally pointed out, sure he was great, but don't forget Ginger Rogers did everything he did backwards and in high heels. <laughs> Any of you women ever felt like in order to achieve what a guy had to achieve, you had to do it backwards and in high heels. You had a higher bar. You had a more difficult road to get to it. Anybody feel that way as a woman? Ever? Because if you don't, you're not living here. Right? I do understand something. 
What we're talking about is that God has hidden something in plain sight. God didn't hide it. We did. There is something that's hidden in plain sight. Let me show you even more deeply what that actually is. We've already established the fact that, that God is not male nor female. And just in order to show you that in Scripture he's making this clear too, let me show you this. As a mother comforts her son, so I, God, will comfort you. You see I'm identifying as the mother here? The mother hen, he says, in another place. It, it, all the time he's using imagery. Even Christ, when he's over, the, over Jerusalem and he's crying, he makes reference to a place where God is talking in the feminine verse about gathering in her chicks in Jerusalem. So you understand something. God, who is both male and female, is expressing his maleness and his femaleness. All the time. Because that's who he is. He's, express, he's not expressing his maleness or his femaleness. He's just expressing who he is. <laughs> Which is both things. Alright? Bill. Still, somehow, we've got this thing that somehow women are just a notch. Men are just a notch greater somehow in God's eyes. If that's true, then explain this to me. What's the most important thing in life? If you're Maslow and you're an idiot, then you say food. And, you know, food's pretty important. I get it. But is that really the most important thing in life? I want you to get real about this. I mean, the way that God talks about life, God who provided a creation that does provide in bounty, even to six billion people now. It's amazing, the wealth. And again, we, we worry about overfishing and et cetera, and I think that's something we have to be concerned about. But the bottom line is, is God's creation is incredibly abundantly fulfilling things like food, and it's easy enough to make shelter, and some of those things. What's really the most important thing in life? What would you say that it was? Relationship, but let me change the word relationship to love. That's, that's actually the thing that God says is the most important thing in all of life. What's the most important thing? Love the Lord your God in all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Second is equal unto it or is like unto it. See what I mean? What's the thing that God says is the most important thing? What really is the most important thing? Can you imagine going through life without love? You do, know, you do remember those poor little babies, those orphans in Sarajevo back when we were having that civil war. And, and the, the babies were thought, we don't want them to connect with the nurses because then they won't connect with the parents. And the babies, so the babies weren't held. And all of the babies turned out, excuse me, but mental defect because their brains didn't grow right because they didn't receive touch and love. How important is it? Pretty darn important. That's it's the most important. Now, when you think of love, just, just think of love. When you think of love, do you think of that as a male trait or a female trait? If you have to pick one, I get that guys can love too deeply. I think I do quite a bit. I always tell you that I love you, and I really actually mean it, despite what some people think. <laughs> but, but being totally honest, do you think of it as a female trait or a male trait? I mean, right? We all just kind of have a gut feeling that really the depths of love. I mean, we get that guys can love, and guys are good at eros, erotic, right? But, you know, when it comes to love, real love, the depths, the riches, the, the profoundness of love, that's pretty much a female trait, isn't it? That, don't we think of it in feminine terms? All right, so that's the most important thing, love, and we've just identified it in a feminine way. What's the second most important thing in life? 
What? Respect is really good, but I don't think it's the second most important thing. I think it's certainly on the list. But what would be more important than respect? Faith is awesome. That might even be more important than one I got about to have put up here. But let me just show you something. Thank you. But, but let me just show you the one that God identifies as being more important than all the other things that we want and think. Wisdom. I want you to think about this. Solomon, son of the king, becomes king. Pretty smart guy. Marries the daughter of the Pharaoh in order to make an alliance with Egypt so that they wouldn't come up and kill him, right? Harder for Pharaoh to attack Israel if Israel is going to have the daughter there, right? Daddy's little girl there, right? That's why they did that kind of thing, the marriage stuff, right? But now think about this for just a second. Here's what God's saying. If I just let Solomon go like this, who's he going to trust in? His marriages, his allegiances, his alliances, and so on. Who's he supposed to be trusting in? God. So what does God do? He comes to Solomon and he says this. Ask me for anything you want. I want to show you how real I am. I want to show you what I can do for you. I want to show you that I can do more for you than any marriage or alliance ever could. So I'm telling you, Solomon, ask me anything, and I'll do it for you. And he didn't care what it was. Could have been riches, could have been um, power, could have been land, could have been whatever, right? He would have given him anything that he asked because he wanted to demonstrate to him that I'm here for you. Now, what does Solomon ask for? Wisdom for how to guide your people, for how to lead your people. And God says, that was the best thing to ask for. That was the one. That was the second one on the list, although faith may get up there now, okay? But, but that was the one, wisdom, see it? And then here's what he says. Because you chose wisdom, heck, I'm going to give you everything. Now, do remember, Solomon got everything, didn't he? Solomon expanded the borders of Israel to larger than they've ever been in their entire history, including now. Much larger than they are currently in Israel. Solomon also made the country so rich that people considered silver as nothing. It was, had no value. That's how much money they had. Solomon built God's house, a wonder of the world at the time, and thousands of other things. But what's the thing that 2,000 years later still remains? Because the border doesn't remain. The wealth doesn't remain. Even the temple doesn't remain. What remains? He was the wisest guy that ever walked the face of the earth. God said, I'll make you the wisest person that's ever walked on earth before or since, before or after. There'll be nobody wiser than you. Nobody with more wisdom than you. And indeed, 2,000 years later, when you read Proverbs, does it feel like a book that was written 2,000 years ago? Does it? Show me another book that feels like that. Because there isn't one. If you pick up the Iliad, does it feel like a book that was written yesterday? That's Homer, and yeah. But it's an ancient book, and it's not even as old. As, you, you get the drift? The bottom line is, as you go back 3,000 years ago, and this wisdom is so true to the human condition that it could have been written yesterday, and if it was, it would be the bestseller because everybody would go, there is just so much wisdom in here. See it? 
So clearly this guy had this second most important thing. And now, where did it come from? Where did the wisdom come from that he had? Why was he the wisest guy? Because he was just so smart? No. He was the wisest guy because he had the Holy Spirit come upon him. And the Holy Spirit actually does know everything. And through all time. And so it was the Holy Spirit that was speaking through Solomon in order to give us Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes and this incredible wisdom that Solomon did, even some Psalms. Right? He got it from God. So I want you to hear what God says about wisdom. Get it? Proverbs 1.20. Wisdom calls out in the street, meaning there's all this noise of the world, all these temptations, all these other ways to go, wealth, money, power, pleasure, etc., right? All these things that are calling out for you. And what God says is wisdom calls on the street as if over the din of all of the noise, wisdom is calling out, trying to get your attention over the other noise. See that? But now watch. She raises her voice in the public squares. She, female, she raises her voice. Why is wisdom being personified as feminine? I just want to take it, this, is, this might only be interesting to me, but I don't think so because we have wordies in here, okay? You know what I mean? People that really like all this kind of stuff. So just hang in there for two seconds with me because this is another one of those sort of Really, it's not despicable like that biblical one was, but it is problematic, okay? Here's what people will do. There's two ways of looking at, at knowledge and how the world came to be. One way is like this. God made everything, and everything that is comes out from God. And there's another way to look at the world and say, God isn't really real, and so everything that's in the Bible had to come from somewhere else in. See that? So here's what a whole bunch of scholars do with that. They say, oh, the reason why wisdom is referred to as a she is because there were all of these goddess religions out there, and they were, you know, the goddess was the wise one. And so that influenced Solomon, who was a pretty worldly guy after all. And so Solomon wrote about wisdom in the feminine. Now, here's why that is facile as an explanation. Why did all those other religions consider wisdom to be a feminine trait? Because you don't see wise wisdom male gods. You only see wisdom female gods. Now that's not to say that men can't be wise. But I want you to think about something. When we think of wisdom and men, what do we almost automatically insert as the, as the synonym for the word? Philosophy. Plato, Aristotle, uh, Aquinas, Augustine. All of these incredible male thinkers. But you do understand that when we're talking about wisdom, we're talking about something hugely greater than philosophy, right? Philosophy is a bunch of principles and logic, and it is a subset of the bigger thing that is wisdom, and wisdom has philosophy in it, but it also just has life. The, read Proverbs. It's not about philosophers. It's about how are people? How do they actually act? How do they react? What makes for a good one? What makes for a bad one? See what I mean? Wisdom is much greater than just philosophy. So now the question is begged again for all those scholars who want to say the reason why Solomon uses the female is because of goddess wisdom. We, we want to say, why do people think of wisdom as being a feminine thing? So it's the goddesses that are the wisdom gods. See that? 
Now, in the same way biblical scholars will do this same stupid thing, I literally, okay, there was a guy that I was reading, because I was reading a lot of commentaries on this, just to make sure that I'm okay with what I'm saying here, right? And I'm reading this commentary, and one of the guys says this. He says, the reason why wisdom is referred to as female is because the Hebrew noun is feminine, and there's no more speculation that's warranted. <laughs> right? Because it is. The Hebrew noun is feminine. But he's wrong about there's no more speculation that's warranted because here's what we, I would say back to him. Why does it have the feminine? Is it a tense? What is that called, wordies? Gender, yeah. Why does it have the feminine gender? But, it's, but you get my drift. When we were coming up with words and we put male, male and feet, masculine and feminine to them, you do realize that the reason why things got masculine is because they felt like they were more male, and the reason why things got feminine is because they felt like they were more feminine. There was also the, I want to say neuter, but that was a bad pun, but there's also the neutral, right, which is not male nor female. Why wasn't wisdom just that? Why? Because when we think about wisdom, all of us, just naturally, when we think about wisdom, it's not a culturalization, because it's found all the way across all cultures. When people think about what wisdom is in its deepest and most profound and richest ways, they always think about it with a feminine tint. Wait a minute. We said that the, the expression in the feminine is God. This means that God has put it in us to see wisdom in a feminine light. Well, just watch this. We're just, we're almost there. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. Now, you do realize, I'm not doing Proverbs 31 to you because, <coughs> I don't know, I think someone would have walked out if I said, hey, I'm going to do Proverbs 31 today for Mother's Day. And they would have went, oh, God. Excuse me, Lord. But I just want you to think about something. The Proverbs 31 woman at the end of the chapter, you do realize that she's the expression of everything else that's being said in the book. You do realize that all the wisdom that Solomon has been piling up in all those verses and all those chapters, they all pile up into the personification that comes out as woman. And here's where you see it happening right back here in chapter 3. You see this? He's building a case for something in a way that resonates in our hearts. And so he's using a little bit of this woman archetype. He's using this woman sort of thing. And he's saying, happy is the man who finds wisdom and acquires understanding, for she's more profitable than silver. This is exactly what he's saying about the Proverbs 31 woman, remember? But you see, what I want you to see is the deeper impulse behind it. She's more profitable than silver. Her revenue is better than gold. Men, seriously, do you believe this? If you have a wife, do you believe this? Because it's true in, in ways that are striking. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left, riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant, and all her paths are peaceful. You see, this, this woman, this incredible feminine thing of bringing us into peace and understanding and not having lust and desire, but coming into a better place. Her ways are pleasant, her paths are peaceful. She's a tree of life to those who embrace her and those who hold on to her are happy. Here's another one. Don't abandon wisdom. She will watch over you. Wait, I thought the guy was the one that was watching over. You have a mom, you have a dad. 
I don't know, some of you don't actually know one or the other of them, but sorry about that. But, but bottom line, when you think of somebody watching over you, sure there's something about the dad protecting you from the bullies, but when you think about something, somebody watching over you, who did that in your family? Who was the one who was there more and doing this kind of attention? Love her and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. Whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her. She will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. In marriage verses, God says over and over and over, men, if you will learn how to cherish your wives, to love her, it will benefit back to you. It's not just to take proper care of her. It's that when you do that with her, what she does back for you is enormously helpful. Now that is the physical, this worldly manifestation of the deeper truth that God is going after, which is cherish wisdom and she will do that thing. We see that in the good wife doing this. But now that we, what we see here is that's wisdom. Cherish her. She will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a garland of grace on your head. She will give you a crown of beauty. She will, she will take all of your testosterone and manliness, and she will direct it in ways that are godly and glorious. See it? Wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has set it at her table. She has sent out her female servants. She calls from the highest points of the city. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat my bread. Drink the wine that I have mixed. <coughs> Leave an experience behind, and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. Now think about this image right here. What is this? This is that Proverbs 31 woman, but this is that woman that we all know who is doing this. She's creating a household, a home that she can invite others into, as my mom has done, as Julie has done. She is creating this incredible place where people can come in and be grown up. Do you see that? That's what he's talking about. And all of a sudden, we're starting to see what wisdom is as opposed to, say, philosophy. Philosophy is a bunch of ideas. Here's what wisdom is. Nurturing. Love. Care. There for you every single minute, every single day, every single moment. There for you in everything. Completely sacrificially there for you. You see it? How does God feel about women? The two most important things on our list, the two top things on our list, love and wisdom, are both deeply feminine. How does God feel about women? The two most important things are hidden in plain sight for us to finally interpret properly. Let's be careful here. Anything you can do, I can do better. That's the old song, right? It's actually kind of true what, God's, what God has just said to us. Do you understand what he's saying? Can I say it this way? Thank God that God gave a desire for the women to like us because otherwise, men, they'd just be done with us and it would be over. 
Now, I know that that's a joke, but I actually want you to consider that there's a truth in it. It's a joke because it is true. You know, socially, intellectually, physically, they're progressing more quickly, and then puberty and menopause come and kind of knock her back down in a way that she actually needs a guy again. You know what? You know what her desire coming to be under you is? It's giving you an equal shot at actually getting good. How does God feel about women? He already knows that anything he can do, she can do better. I'm not kidding. The glass ceiling is shattering. We're seeing it in every aspect. All the org charts and principles and frontal lobish ways of doing things that guys did and how to run businesses are falling apart. Why? Because there is this new thing coming which has to do with caring about human beings. Loving them, caring for them, leading them in a way that is very feminine if you get right down to it. It empowers. It's not feminine as in girly. It's feminine as in a mom raising a son and wanting him to be everything that he can possibly be. A mom raising a daughter and wanting her to be everything that she can possibly be. How does God feel about women? Um, let's just change that wording because that wording itself becomes offensive if you really consider it. Because here's what women are. They are the expression of one half of who God is. Men are not less than women. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He loves us too. And we are the expression of the other half. But how does God feel about women on this Mother's Day where we're talking about women? How does God feel about women? They are the expression of Him. That's who they are. And all these stereotypes and all these little things that we do in order to create something different than that is a mistake. There is a, there's an issue about a learning curve in a small period of time. But in Christ Jesus, he is transcending that. In Christ Jesus, he is making everybody to be completely who they are. And just as the women have been raised up in that, so too have the men been placed as they have learned how to nurture into the right place. Do you see this? Now, I started this by saying this to you. I said, we're going to talk about things that everybody knows because this is hidden in plain sight. And it wasn't God that hid it. He made it clear. We're the ones that got it wrong. We're the ones that have been, we, we just have these stereotypes and these biases and these prejudices and these little understandings about what it is to be a woman and what it is to be a man. And I'm telling you that we have misunderstood the heart of God in it. And I want us to be a place where the women are stepping up and becoming absolutely everything that God intended them to be. And the men are stepping up and becoming everything that God intended them to be. And everybody is becoming the fullness of Christ Jesus. Manifest in the world gloriously. That's how God feels about women and men. I'm going to do something, I don't know. Uh, I, I just want to do it quickly. We're gonna, I just want a few men to stand up. And I want you to give testimony. The, the word says, let another praise you. And I want you to give testimony to a mother, a wife, a daughter, a sister, a friend. I, it's not about Mother's Day. 
You can praise your mother if you want. But I'd like, I'd like to have some men stand up right now, and I'd like, you to, I'd like you to speak words of encouragement, speak words of value, speak words of this is who you are. Unto a mother, a sister, a friend. I did say on this one thing, a woman is greatly healthy, but use discernment. If you're sitting there with your wife and all of a sudden you go gushing about some other woman, that could be a problem on Mother's Day, right? <laughs> you all understand that, okay? So don't do that, okay? <sighs> they shouldn't have to say that, but just in case. If, I, if, you, if, you, if you're talking and I go like this, man, that means stop, stop. Okay. All right, go ahead. Men, raise your hands. Go ahead. Kelly, we got to get your mic, though, so. I don't. Hey, you know, I want to put my boss up there because, you know, she's put up with me through being totally antisocial, you know, homicidal, suicidal, genocidal, you know, and she's worked with me for years trying to make me almost human, and I just want to say thanks to that one, okay? Hi, it's Steve. Okay, hi, it's Steve. Steve Young. I have something to say. Um, I have um, something going on in my life. I had deep fear. Steve. I was trying to get get it out, but it's really hurtful. When I am afraid of everything. Hey Steve. It hurts Steve, when I can't Steve, could you it. come? Steve, could you come talk to me after the service? I'd love to talk to you about that. Okay, but I really want this to be a time where men are praising women. Okay, so go ahead. Some other guy, raise your hand. Okay, you got to stand up. First of all, I love my wife, but um, I want to talk. <laughs> that was a little too Just quick. Before we do it better. <laughs> <laughs> she knows. But actually, I really want to talk about Chris Maddox. Um, Amen. She is a woman who, first of Amen. all, knew more about me than, like, when I first came here. I was like, how do you know this about me? Like, it's crazy. But um, there's a woman who has uh, become a mother to a bunch of us in here, a grandmother to our children, um, who's just really shown, um, shown that mother, shown the love, the wisdom. I mean, who, raise your hand if you've gotten a yellow piece of paper from Chris Maddox. <laughs> so, right? Like, someone who goes after God and, and you know, and really cares about you. And, and I think... Uh, those of us who have children that she's adopted as, as her grandchildren, are, they're going to be just more, more better. That's a dumb word. More better. They're going to be better because of that. Some other guy. There's a guy over here, Marty. Thank you, Kirk. Marty. Stand up. Thanks, Marty. I think uh, men are lucky if they have had two special women in their life. For me, one would be my mom and the other would be my wife. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess in recognition of my mom, uh, you know, there's always that sticky thing about, well, you know, sometimes your mom and your, your wife don't always get along. In my case, the blessing is reflected in that uh, my wife is referred to my mom as St. Barbara. <laughs> But um, I, for those who, who really know me, I, I, I know some of you better than others, uh, I'm not always a particularly patient person. 
you know, maybe I'm on my best behavior here at church, but if you know me as, as my wife does, <laughs> I'm not the world's most patient man. And uh, I have to say that, uh, you know, I've, I've been transformed in, in, in my relationship with my wife. And uh, if I have any patience at all, I, I certainly would attribute that to her. Amen. Thank you, Marty. Thank you. <laughs> Jeff, up here. Let's do Jeff up here. Guys, we're going to do about five more of these, so you don't understand the brownie points you're going to get right here, okay? <laughs> Take and use the moment, okay? Go ahead, Jeff. So, love what you said, Marty. Totally relate, man. Um, yeah, what, what really stuck out to me um, about my own wife listening to this sermon, I mean, just about everything could be applied to her probably. <laughs> yeah, it's just really but true. She's, she's just unbelievable, but yeah. what really stuck out to me was, um, I think it was in... I don't remember which verse it was, but it said, her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peaceful. And I thought, man, that is so my wife. Amen. She is peaceful about everything. She just somehow manages to take difficult, hard situations and make peace out of them. And I am not that. I am like the opposite. I'm like confrontational. And That's right. Like, Come on, let's get this dealt with. And That's right. So I don't know how she does it, but it's beautiful and it's amazing, and I really want to learn it. That's great. Who else? Some, some guy over here. We got Roger. We got Bruce. Um, Kristen homeschooled our three kids and did a pretty good job of it. But um, it was her mom that um, I want to say thanks to, um, wow. Corlin, and uh, back in New York State. Um, I hear the stories um, from when Kristen was growing up, and um, pretty pretty cool stuff. The patience really that cool. um, Corlin had really cool thank you let's we can get to Roger can we get let's go ahead and do Brian and let's work our way over Roger okay and then we're gonna need somebody over here to keep the room balanced okay go ahead Brian Brian you're up hello I'm Brian um, I want to first say is that my wife is wonderful and I she's everything that comes good out of our family it all comes from her but I also want to thank her mother-in-law or my mother-in-law her <laughs> her mom her mom and the reason why is that her uh, husband <laughs> and uh, the reason why is is um, uh, Lisa had uh, troubled relationships in the past and her mom uh, prayed for a long time for her and uh, I was the answer to the prayer and that's always amazing to be in that kind of position and I just want to thank her for praying and uh, thank, thank you, Jesus. my wife for loving me. Thank you Jesus. That's wonderful. Thank you Lord. Roger. Well if I bet there aren't a dozen people in here who don't know Kathy. Um, she's got this right. tremendous gift of hospitality right. of kind of meeting you where you want to be. That's right. And most of you would think, you know, I'm fairly outgoing, loving, you know, hugging on people. Well, that sure wasn't me a long time ago, That's right. probably 20 years ago. And she's made me be the person I, I should be. Amen. Amen. A few more. Anybody over here? Okay. Can you, who can get there? Okay. Thanks, Kirk. I'm Eric, and um, you, know, you talked about love and 
them and an expression of, of yeah. that. And what's the greatest, God's greatest expression of love is loving us uh, even though we don't deserve it. Yeah. And uh, unconditionally. And time in our life where my wife had to make a decision whether she was going to love me and uh, where I was not responding to that, not being uh, deserving yeah. of her love, not giving her the care she needed. Um, and she made that choice. Amen. And so she is that, um, in my life, that expression of God's love yeah. that um, helps me understand and appreciate. Because I think that's one of the hardest things to yeah. as Christians is to grasp how much God loves us. And so he gave Amen. me a living being Amen. that is that. And amazingly, your two daughters who are both here today are just outstanding people too. I mean, the, the, you know, when I talk about incredible women, that's you too, too, you know. Did I say too, too? <laughs> that works, right? <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and go to John. Do we have somebody over here? Oh, Zach? Okay, good. We're, we're gonna do, let's say we need three more, okay? Okay. I want to comment on uh, three women. First, my mother. I can, I can still hear it in my memory. Yeah. She's been dead now a number of years, but when she called me on the phone, she would say with such sincerity, I just love to hear your voice and yeah. mean it. Yeah. She was... Uh, a giving person. She loved her children and grandchildren, would do anything for them. She had other qualities that probably taught me to fear and other things like that, but, but the balance was far on her ledger yeah. for being what I call a person of mercy. Yeah. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Second, my wife. Many of you know her. Uh, she is a person of mercy as well, but she has another quality that's sometimes hard to live with. She can tell you directly and to the point when something's not right without condemnation and turn right around and be giving generous. And, and what that's done for me is to help me to see things in myself yeah. that need to be changed. The third Good. woman I want to mention comes from a long time ago, about 1965 or 66. It was a woman that worked in the same unit I was in at Boeing at that time. One day she told me, John, your biggest problem is you're too impersonal. Phyllis was her name. I can't remember her last name. It's been too long. I said, what do you mean? She wouldn't tell me. She would not, in spite of my insistence, she would not tell me what she meant. And you know, that question came to my head today because it revealed a self-examination of a part of yourself that makes it difficult to love. That is to make room in yourself for that other person. Yeah. Whether it's uh, That's good. your child, a friend. It's good a wife, yeah. or a mother. I love that, John. I love the idea that, that as a woman, whether you're a mother or not, 
in the technical sense of that, you're a woman and you're supposed to be manifesting who God is in the world. And that is nurturing and care. And it goes way beyond the biological connections. It goes to mothering. And we would say that almost as a, it's almost has a negative connotation, doesn't it? Which is sad and, and not right. What we're talking about is women being who they are in the fullness of the culture, being able to help other people all the way across the board, which is why I put up there. Somebody who's greatly helped you. So I think we've got one, and then we've got one last one. Go ahead. So to cover all bases, I, I too, Adam, love my wife, and she's amazing in so many ways. Um, and I, but I wanted to talk about my, my mother. If there's anybody that could take your mother, it's probably my mother. <laughs> I know her. It's true. <laughs> I just say there's some truth in right. that. Yeah, she's scrappier than my mom. <laughs> she, yeah. yeah, and she's got a look. You know, your mom had the knuckle. My mom's got the look, and we're yeah. all afraid of her. When yeah, that I happens. get it. I get it. Doesn't when, matter when how they big can you do are. the look through the phone. <laughs> yes. Um, but my mother has taught me to be real. My my father taught me work ethic and some other very good qualities, but my mother taught me. Um, the, the wisdom of being Amen. authentic and real. Amen. And my, uh, my wife notices all the time, she says, you guys are exactly the same. Wow. I'm just a male version of my mother. Wow. And I don't know if that's good. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> we may need to talk afterwards, but, too. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but, you know, uh, my mother has meant more to me than any one human being um, in the world. More than any, you know, I mean, outside of Christ and, and what, you know, happened Actually, I think there's a whole lot of people that would be but, able to say that, right? Yeah, Single she's most an important amazing person. woman, and, and um, yeah. And That's I love amazing. you, Mom, and she's not That's here. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, one more, and then we're done. Okay, is there somebody else that wants to get, get the brownie points? Okay. Um. I'm Adam's father, and um, I, I just oh. want to take the opportunity. What's that? And I just want to take the opportunity to give honor to my wife. We've, we'll celebrate 33 years of marriage this year. Wow. And thank you. Clap for her, trust me. And um, a year and a half ago, I came to her, and I, and I brought Isaiah 117 to her. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed and the cause of human trafficking and fighting modern-day slavery and, and asked her to basically give up everything that we had done and acquired in 30 years of marriage and put it on the line. And the commercial loan officer in her probably had some apprehension, but the virtuous woman and woman of God that she is and the helpmate that she is that you yeah. talked about earlier allowed that to happen. And so as a result of it... Um, we're, we're finally pursuing our vocations and not our career. Thank you, Lord. All right. We're wrapping up now, and I know that there's a lot of guys that would have more to say, but to the women, I want to say this. Be blessed by who God says you are. Don't just be blessed by it, but become it in fullness. Okay? That's what this message is about today. So, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, all of us come before your throne. And what we do is we lift up in thanksgiving. Mothers, of course, all of us come from mothers. Thank you for them, even if there were difficulties. Thank you. 
we learn how to thank you even in the difficult. And so many of us had wonderful, and so thank you for that. All flawed, but wonderful. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, though, God, this day, we actually raise up another aspect of it, and that is, in Jesus' holy and precious name, who you've made women to be. In part, women become everything that they're supposed to do when, women will rec when men will recognize what it is that you've made them to be, that they are the expression of half of you, and that we need that other half to express itself in our world. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, we come before your throne, and we ask you to make the men in this room and to make the men across our country and ultimately the men across the world be those who nurture, who raise up, who bring women into the fullness of you. Because that's what you're manifesting, is you. And the world is deeply in need of you. So in Jesus' name, make us men who bring that, who help that to come to pass. And not who impede it in any way, shape, or form. And to all the women who would struggle with insecurities, with fears, with not feeling that you're enough, as we had so brilliantly preached last week, God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, and that was men too, of course, but in Jesus' holy and precious name, would you, would you come and would you show women who they really are? The other half of God that needs to be shown and revealed in the world, hidden in plain sight by not just a man's failing, but by our own women's failings too. And may we start to all step up into the fullness of who you have made us all to be, which is yours, the very manifestation of you. God, let them stop tripping on any insecurity, on any false stereotypes, on any bad theology. Let them start raising up in fullness to who you are. We reach down right now and we take this cup that is in front of us and we take the there's two cups and we take that bottom cup and realizing that this bottom cup is this body that was broken that's ours that's the body that we broke and we take our fingers and we crush it saying I recognize that I have been an impediment to you being revealed in the world by my wrong understanding of what these things are I have hurt the expression and manifestation of you to the hurt of the kingdom. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, to the hurt of myself, ourselves. We have broken the world in our misunderstanding. And so we say, God, that we will walk away from that and into Christ who makes us whole. The one in whom there is no more Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one. We are all the manifestation of you in fullness. You heal us and make us whole. So heal us and make us whole today. Raise this cup in Jesus' holy and precious name and take together. And now God, most glorious God, there is a life that you have that you have already purchased 2,000 years ago and we have failed to live it but you have already purchased it and it is simply available to us right now. 
And so in this cup is that new life. And we take this cup with a recognition that it has already been purchased and that we need to do nothing but simply start walking in it. So God, impregnate all of us with this idea that you have of how you really see men and women as being the expression of yourself, all of which is needed. And let us become that new life in the world. In Jesus' holy and precious name, take this cup together, would you please? Thank you, God. Thank you, ushers, for coming forward. We're going to take an offering right now. God, we pour out into your kingdom that which is already yours. You could have kept it all for yourself, but you desired, you wanted to give it to us. And now in Jesus' holy and precious name, give us that same heart that wants to pour back into your kingdom in richness, in fullness, in incredibleness, with a cheerful heart and a joyful yes and amen, with a desire to see the truths that we have spoken of today and so many other days by your leading, to see those truths manifested in the world in a way that redeems the world. We are salt that has lost our saltiness. Make us salty again. In Jesus' name, to help preserve this world. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, through our yes and amen of this tithe and this offering, hear us saying, God, thank you for the bounty that you have poured in. Even if it doesn't seem like that, it is, it is a blessing. And as you cheerfully give to us, we cheerfully pour back 